Boy, it's really good to be here and, and be back with you again. I, uh, what a rich morning, huh? Just, uh, just a super morning. To lift your spirits with the music and a uh, good word from John. And, and uh, appreciate Brick willing to open up his life and, and share it with us and be open with us. And uh, Kelly, thanks for keeping us on track with this conference and, and uh, tying it together with your thoughts and comments in between. It's just been really good. I was here, I think it was three years ago, and we chatted about the issue of a biblical perspective to wealth. Some of you were here then. And uh, since then, the real estate market in San Diego has basically collapsed. And uh, <clears throat> this year, Gail has asked me to speak on the issue of dealing with adverse circumstances. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate that, Gail. And uh, unfortunately, I think there, there probably is a correlation between the two. Let me just say at the, at the front end that... Uh, Nothing that I'm about to say is intended, even in the, in the slightest way, to diminish the incredible goodness of God to each one of us and uh, the blessings of God. And we've been experiencing a part of that this weekend, my wife and I and our family, and, and I know all of you feel the same way, are incredibly blessed by our God. And yet we, we do realize that the fact is that God in his grace has wired things in such a way that as we move through the process of life, as we trek through our sojourn here on earth, that we do encounter difficulty and trials and adverse circumstances. And I say that that is a part of his grace, because as we move through this talk and interact together this morning, and I want to encourage you to jump in at any point, we're here to learn together, we will see that those adverse circumstances are, in fact, a product of the grace of God. How do we deal with the seemingly negative circumstances that, that we encounter? I found myself... Over the, the past four or five days, uh, my wife, whose name is Jan, and I flew into Atlanta last Friday and been mooching off the Jacksons since then. And we have a daughter that has recently moved to Rome, which is a kind of out in the country, about an hour and a half from Roswell. And so we came down to spend Easter with her and her, our little granddaughter and her husband. <clears throat> But the other reason that we kind of tied this trip in is that my wife Jan, uh, who is up in Ohio now, is up there to take care of the final personal effects and so on of her mother who passed away. Jan was extremely close with her mother. And it's just, as I look at it, it's almost unbelievable what had happened. Last, uh, this time last year, there, were, there was no problem. First part of June, she was diagnosed with cancer, and by the middle of September, she was gone. And uh, so I find myself over the past several days 
multiple times throughout the day praying for my wife as I know that what she's dealing with is, is just a gut-wrenching, difficult situation. One that only she can do and uh, one that she would not want anybody else to do, but difficult nonetheless. And we all face these type of things. That, that, that is, situation is not unique to us and to our family. We face financial difficulties. We face health problems. Uh, we face having teenagers and the uh, related things that go with that. We face difficulties in this life. And the issue is, how are we going to respond as we face those circumstances? Brick brought that up in his talk. The issue is not, will we face difficult circumstances? Because we will. We're promised in Scripture that in this life, we are going to endure tribulation and hardship. The question is, when we encounter these circumstances, how are we going to respond? And I would like to suggest to you that how we respond to the adverse circumstances that come our way will depend upon our concept of God, number one. And number two, it will depend upon how closely we are living our life in concert with that concept of God. Crowd this size, certainly some of you are here today and uh, you're facing issues that you've never faced before. And it's fearful and it's scary and uh, you look at the scripture and God says, I want you to walk by faith and that gives us comfort on one side, and on the other side, it's, it makes us even more frightened to walk by faith. And so, as we look at this, the question I want us to deal with is how do we endure? How do we, uh, how do we survive these circumstances? How do we respond to these circumstances. And not how do we survive them in the sense of uh, how do we just simply put up with them and make it through them. How do we make it from where we are to when we're going to die. We're all going to make that. But how do we deal with them and respond to them and go through them in such a manner that our life would bring glory to God. That's what we want. That's what all of us want. How can we go through the process of life as we walk this journey and be finishers for God and bring glory to Him? Could you repeat the second Yes. Yes. I would suggest that how we respond to those adverse circumstances depends, number one, on our concept of God, and secondly, on how closely we are living our life 
in concert with that concept. Brick mentioned the fact, I refer to Brick because he, he uh, I, I relate uh, significantly to many of the things that he said. And one of the things he mentioned is, is that we tend to want to live self-contained. Another way to state that, that I had kind of jotted down to share, is that we want to be independent. Now, we don't, we don't like to admit that because we know that that's not a biblical approach. We know that the Bible teaches that we are to be dependent on God, not independent. And yet the fact of the matter is that we would prefer to be independent. We feel, for some reason, secure when we are independent. T take the issue of finances. Do you feel more secure when you don't have enough money in the bank to meet the payroll or to meet your bills or whatever the case is? Or do you feel more secure when you've got plenty of cushion there? We, we feel secure when we perceive a degree of independence. And I say perceive because we know that independence is, is only a false perception. When we feel in control... We have a sense of security, but it's a false sense of security. It's one of the deceptions relative to money. It's one of the, of the uh, deceitfulness of riches that Jesus talks about. The fact that, that somehow uh, we would feel uh, more in control because of, of, of finances. The fact of the matter is that we are never less secure than when we are independent from God. And we are never more secure than, we, than when we are totally dependent upon Him. And it seems like that when we, when we move into that arena of feeling independent, and beginning to feel somewhat secure because of this perceived independence. It seems like God in his grace just kind of reaches down and jerks the rug a little bit and throws us off balance to push us back into a posture of dependence on him. You've heard it said that independence is the pathway from God while dependence is the pathway to God. And faith and dependence are always in proportion to need. And so when God jerks the rug, the need lights go on. And what happens to our faith, guys? It surfaces, doesn't it? <laughs> we become more dependent. One thing I jotted down here, I was just thinking about, is that we don't seem to really experience the power of God and the peace of God until we experience our own need. That's true in the area of our health, finances, our relationships, etc. 
The scripture says that when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, with that as kind of a foundation, what I'd like to do in our remaining time is take a look at three concepts from Scripture that will help us respond biblically to the adverse circumstances of life that are brought our way. And the first is the concept of faith. And I'd like us to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. The other two? Yeah, we're looking at three concepts from Scripture that hopefully will help us respond biblically to the adverse circumstances of life. That's our goal, right, men? We, we know the adverse circumstances are going to come. We know that we will respond to them in one way or another. That's, that's not up for grabs. Even, even trying to ignore the circumstance is a response in itself. And so the question is, how are we going to respond to them? And as men who are committed to walking with God, our goal is that we would respond biblically to the adverse circumstances of life. And so we're going to look at three concepts that hopefully will help us as we go through the process of life to respond biblically to the adverse circumstances. Now somebody, uh, if you would, read out nice and loud Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, or quote it if you know it. Thank you. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We got a marvelous challenge last night and review of the concept of faith. And so we'll move some, through some of these things, and a little bit of it will be overlap with Winston's message last night, but if, if, if you guys are anything like me, overlap is what I need and uh, repetition and hearing things uh, more than once is what it takes to sink in for me. So we'll get a little bit of overlap here, but uh, hopefully it will be worth our time. So we see that, that faith is central to Christianity. It's central to Christianity because without faith we can't even please God. You can't get much more central than that. So faith is central to Christianity. Now, the fact that we cannot please God apart from faith is not the same as saying that God doesn't love us when we're living in unbelief. And I think it's important for us to get a hold of that concept. God knows everything all the time. He knows everything about us. He knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. When he chose me to be one of his children... He knew everything about me. He knew all the junk. And he, he knew the things that I didn't even know about yet. All the sin that I would commit. All the unbelief that I would exercise in my life was, was clearly in view to the sovereign God. And in spite of all that, 
he says, I'm going to choose you. So it is not an issue of God's love. God demonstrated his love to me, knowing everything there was to know about me. I cannot do anything to surprise God. But I can disappoint God. And one of the ways I disappoint God is when I live in unbelief. Looking again at, at this verse, verse 6, there are two conditions that are laid down in, in the passage. What's the first condition? Believe that he is. Condition number one is that we must believe that God exists. Now, what does that mean? Is it sufficient to simply say that we believe in a God, we believe in some higher power, we believe in, in an impersonal being up there? I don't think so. I think what the passage is saying is that we must believe that God exists, that God really is God, that everything that God has declared about himself is true, that Every one of his attributes are, in fact, true. And as I look at that, I, I have to conclude that at the root of all sin is unbelief in the area of some aspect of God's character. If I'm fearful, if I'm angry, if I'm unwilling, if, if the circumstance throws me for a loop and I, and I cannot live with it, we know that sometimes in, in, a, in a blink of an eye, our lives can be turned completely upside down by one circumstance. can come out of left field with, with no warning. And so understanding and embracing and, and, and believing who God is, is is critical to being able to respond to those circumstances. Now, the, the second condition in, in the verse, it seems to me, is that we must also believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We must believe, in other words, that God rewards those who seek him, that God has our best interest at heart. I read in a commentary, the commentator said, we must, on the, speaking about this verse, we must believe not only that God exists as God, but also that he cares. Some of you are familiar with the book that this... Uh, author Rabbi Kushner wrote years ago called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. I don't know if any of you have read that, but uh, in that book he concluded, in essence, that one of two things were true about God. Either he was in control, but he was a bad God. Or he was a good God, but just simply not in control, 
of, of the affairs of the world. <coughs> and the fact of the matter is that both of those are, are, are wrong. The scripture says that God does care and that he is in control. That he is in control and that he has our best interest at heart. And the hurts and disappointments that we, that we deal with, we can be confident that God is in control and that he is working things together for our ultimate good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 The question is whether or not we believe it when the circumstances say otherwise. And that's really, isn't that really where the issue touches us? So we see that faith is central to Christianity, but as we, as we saw last night, faith is not unique to Christianity. On the contrary, it is common to life. Faith is simply commitment before knowing. And nobody lives life without having to commit before knowing the results. According to Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is either something I hope for or it's something unseen. We went through a, uh, just give you an illustration, in, in San Diego one of the things that, that we get involved in quite frequently is the idea of evangelistic Bible studies. You guys probably are involved in them yourself. But the idea is you get five or six guys together that are, that are not believers and or they're just seeking and, and don't have a, a relationship with God. And you spend about six weeks, an hour a week, meeting and discussing the claims of, of Christianity and the relevance of Christianity uh, to the businessman, to the father, etc. And the idea is that you, you of course, move the person to the point of, of embracing uh, Christianity and accepting Christ. And... Uh, about a year ago, we finished one of those studies. A buddy of mine were involved in it. And, and one of the guys in the study, when we got all done, he, he, he said, I've really enjoyed these six weeks, and I really think I've learned some things, and uh, I really uh, respect the faith that you guys have. But he says, the fact of the matter is that before I buy in, I want to know for sure that what I'm buying into is true. And I thought about that, and I want to respond to this guy. And uh, I said, uh, you cannot know for sure beforehand. Because if you could know for sure beforehand, no faith would be required. And the reality is that we don't know before committing that it is after we commit our life to Christ that we realize that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that doing results in knowing. And if you think about it, that principle is true in all of life. That doing results in knowing. And so, so it is true in our relationship with God, especially so. So we've seen that faith is not unique to Christianity. Everyone lives by faith, but not everyone 
lives by biblical faith, as Winston pointed out last night so clearly. Biblical faith is simply faith that has God as its object. It's as simple as that. It is not how much faith we have that makes the difference, but it is what we put our faith in that makes the difference. And that leads us to our next concept, which is the concept of hope. If you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 15. Would somebody read that out loud and clear, please? Verse 15 of chapter 3. Thank you. Faith is necessary to please God, and hope is the reason that we exercise it. Hope is what motivates us to exercise faith. Hope is what motivates us to live by faith. And when we think about the concept of hope, hope is always in the direction of what we perceive to be in our best interest, right? What do you hope for when you think of the Bible? Well, number one, you hope the Bible's true. You hope that Christ died for your sins. You hope that heaven exists. I hope that heaven exists and that I will someday see my mom and dad there who who passed away a few years ago. We hope, we place our hope and our trust in the direction of what we perceive to be in our best interest. We don't say, I hope it's all a farce, or I hope I get in an accident on the way home. So, so hope is a motivator in the direction of what we perceive to be in our best interest that activates faith in our life. Hope is always in the direction of what we perceive to be in our best interest. And we have a choice, and it's an extremely critical choice. And the choice is that I can either put my hope in the world and what it has to offer, or I can put my hope in the promises and the character of God. I need to understand that if I put my hope in the world, then I will be motivated by the things of the world. I will become entangled in the world. And as a result, there will be no reason for people to ask me a reason for the hope within me, as we just heard read. And the reason they won't is because my hope's not going to look any different than theirs. I'm not going to respond any differently to the bumps and, and, and chuck holes of life as they will. The ups and downs, the, the difficult circumstances, 
the loss of a job, the loss of a deal, the, 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 the loss of the things, or, or I'm going to respond in the same way as they are. And what we are after is a different response. Now, we're going to have a recovery time. We're going to respond in a human fashion. Kelly, the, the thing he shared is just a perfect illustration. We're going to res respond. We're human. We're going to have a human response to the, to the uh, difficult circumstances of life. But the question is, what's our recovery time? How long does it take us to get our focus back on track? And men, the answer to that question is going to be to some degree in proportion to our concept of God and how closely we're living to that concept. I just went through, just a uh, matter of fact, I, I kind of concluded that this trial I'm dealing with right now, which may end up in a trial, unfortunately. You know, the attorneys are happy here, but... <laughs> not, pardon me? They're not many. They're not many. I know. we got them outnumbered, don't we? <laughs> I've concluded that this is Gail Jackson's fault because he asked me to study this topic and come here to share it. But a couple weeks ago, I'm dealing with a situation, and our business, is, as I alluded to, has been difficult, to say the, the least, in uh, San Diego and uh, uh, real estate developers are kind of hanging on and, and just trying to get through this thing. And uh, we uh, won't share the whole story, but uh, we've got a dispute with a bank. And, uh, of course, we all know the bankers are wrong. And, uh, of course, the real estate people here know the bankers are wrong. I know that. But uh, right before I got ready to leave, we're for some other unrelated reason, we had to run a credit check, or some people had to run a credit check on some leasing of equipment and stuff we're doing, and a, a bad thing popped up on my personal credit report. And, uh, you know, I, each business is different, but I'll tell you, in my business, you better have a clean credit record. I mean, you just can't survive in my business without a, without a, a good clean... And this was not just a little blip on the TRW. I mean, this had, this was a paragraph, you know. It had all this stuff in here about this loan being overdue and had been referred to attorneys and all this stuff from this company. And, man, I just, oh, jeez, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm impressed. We're trying to get out of town a week later and, and, and come on this trip. And, and it was Friday. It was the end of the week, and it had been a hard week, and I got home, and I was just, I was like, I was like Kelly was that night before Thanksgiving. And uh, my wife was just trying to encourage me, you know, and, and I said, honey, I said, uh, I'm going to be okay. I need some time. I need some time with God. But it's going to have to be tomorrow morning because I'm, I'm not going to resolve this thing at night. And I knew, I knew that I'd recover. But at the time, and I, I, and I had to call some people that weekend, and I had to get some time with some people. The first thing I had to do is, is get in front of my Bible early in the morning with, with no distractions and get my focus back, get my hope back on the promises and character of God and not my circumstances. And as it's turned out, it's interesting. The issue's not resolved yet by a long shot. But as it turned out, that little thing that came up 
for an unrelated reason, really kind of tipped me off on what was going on and, and, and at least gave me, put me in the position of being able to, to uh, prepare myself for it. And it was actually kind of a blessing that it came up. I think God kind of <coughs> let me know about it. But it, the point is, we don't be down on ourselves when we respond humanly. I'm not talking about this perfect situation where negative circumstances have no effect on us where we are somehow so spiritual floating through life up here that nothing nothing bothers us. I'm not talking about that. We're going to have a human response. But guys, if, we, if, if we're walking with God and we have a concept of God down, in some period of time, we're going to be able to get our focus back in, in place. And, and that's what I call the recovery time. So our goal through the sanctification process is to try to keep reducing that recovery time down as much as we can. The key is going to be where the focus of our hope is. And uh, it just as an illustration, if you can think of a magnet, you've got, you've got magnetic north. And magnetic north is where that needle always swings to when it isn't turned another direction. And if I put my hope in the world and in what the world has to offer then although I may at times be able to appear spiritual and even at times mean that I'm committed to Christ, when I'm not making that, that conscious effort, my needle is going to automatically swing back to where my hope is. On the other hand, if I firmly plant my hope in the promises and character of God, although I will veer away from that at times as I sin and trip up and my focus goes off, the basic flow of my life will be that magnetic north. So we want our hope pegged on magnetic north. And to do that, I've got to believe that God is in control, that he has my best interest at heart. I can't believe just one of those. Would you trust your life to a God who was in control but did not have your best interest at heart? Would you? Be fearful. Would you trust your life to a God who had your best interest at heart but was totally out of control? No. We have to embrace both of those truths. It is not the absence of trials and difficulties, but how we respond to them that will cause a person to ask for the reason of the hope within us. Now, if, if hope is so important and such a critical area of struggle for most of us, what are some practical things that we can do to develop our hope. And I'd like to suggest two. And let's turn to the book of Romans, chapter 15. Romans 15, and if somebody would read verse 4 and verse 13, both of those verses.
Romans 15, verses 4 and 13. Two principles that I think come out of those verses are our knowledge of God as revealed in the Scripture and our personal walk with Him. As we commit ourselves to getting to know the God of the Scriptures and to walking with Him by faith, our hope will be developed and will be more firmly planted in his character. Getting to know God and walking with him. Now the second way that the scripture gives us is not quite as pleasant. And it's in Romans chapter 5. And some, many of you already know where we're going with that one. Romans chapter 5, the first five verses. I'll just read those five and you can follow along. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. The process that we're talking about of dealing with circumstances that are of an adverse nature will develop our hope. So the second way hope is developed is through tribulation. God wants us to have the mentality of a pilgrim as we walk through this life here on earth, placing our hope in him and his character. And when we do that, it will lead us to our third concept, which is the concept of biblical contentment. I'd like us to look at Philippians chapter 4. And verse 11. Philippians 4, verse 11. Who would like to read that? Somebody just go ahead and stand up and read it out, or just read it out nice and loud for everyone to hear.
It's a great verse, isn't it? People are all looking for contentment. We're not looking for, people say they're looking for success. We're not looking for success. Success is relative. I'm successful to some people and a failure to others. We're not looking for success. We're looking for contentment in life. How do we achieve this? Is it based on how much we have? The Apostle Paul learned a valuable lesson as brought out in this verse. He said, in whatever state I am in, I've learned therewith to be content. And I think that the key, the thing that has helped me the most in this whole contentment issue that I've been wrestling through and dealing with, I think that the, 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 if you don't get anything else from this section, grab a hold of this one thought, and that is that contentment is something the believer chooses based on his understanding of who God is and how much he is committed to us. Contentment is grounded in the character of God, not our circumstances. Contentment is something the believer chooses based on his understanding of who God is and how much he is committed to us. It is a choice. Contentment is grounded in the character of God and not in our circumstances or our possessions. <clears throat> Contentment is a choice. As we look at God, and as we look at his character, and as we look at his promises, and as we recognize the fact that we belong to him, <coughs> contentment becomes a choice. It becomes a declaration on our part that regardless of the circumstances, it is well with my soul. Okay. Contentment is grounded in the character of God and not in our circumstances or our possessions. Depending upon how well we know God and how closely we are walking to Him will determine whether or not in the midst of our circumstances we're able to look at it and say, in spite of, it is well with my soul. And that, gentlemen, is biblical contentment. Now, unfortunately, many people struggle with that. Many Christians lack biblical contentment. And as a result... They are in contention with their circumstances. And I would like to suggest that discontented people fall into one of two categories. The first is that there are those who are discontent with who they are and where they are and what they have. which is precisely the approach that the marketplace uses to motivate people by comparison. J. 
Joe makes $30,000 a year, and he is happy in his job until he finds out that he's in the lower 20% in the whole company. And then, all of a sudden, he's not content. He becomes unhappy. Why? Because he's compared himself with others. Nothing has changed. Lives in the same house. Drives the same car. But because he's compared himself, discontentment settles in. And so Joe says to himself, 40,000 will, will do it. 40,000 will take away the discontentment. 40,000 will satisfy, and of course it doesn't. Comparison, guys, is a dead-end street. It is a dead-end street. It is no good. If you compare favorably, which is rare, but if you do, then we run the risk of pride. If we compare unfavorably, which is, then we run the risk of trying to change our circumstances in order to take away that uneasiness that we feel. And there's a lot more to that, obviously, our sense of self-worth, not being grounded in God, and all those things come in when we get into the comparison thing. And that's why... The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, that when we compare ourselves with one another, that we're unwise. We just shouldn't do it. And it's a struggle for us, but we need to at least know what the standard is so we can, we can push toward it. I think that the second group of people would be that there are those who, for various reasons, extreme hurt, disappointment in their life, etc., retreat and move into a posture in which they feel unthreatened. This group of people have become complacent in their approach to life. They position themselves in such a way that they will never be vulnerable again. They have little ambition or motivation. They simply do their thing, go home to a six-pack, the sofa, and the TV, and they're satisfied. But complacency is not godly contentment, even though there is no outward striving in the individual. Now, both of these extremes, complacency and comparison, are obviously wrong. Biblically, we are urged toward an attitude of balanced contentment. And this position would perhaps represent the third group and the one that we want to, the one that we want to be part of. And that third group would be those people who understand the character of God and his irrevocable commitment to them and who have chosen the path of contentment in spite of their circumstances. These people are able to properly marry the hurts and disappointments of life, on one hand, with God's sovereignty and love, on the other hand. They've been able to marry those together and experience satisfaction with wherever God has them.
recognizing that he is going to work all things together for their ultimate good. And only with a right concept of God will we be able to receive the negative contingencies of life that come our way. And I think this is what the Apostle Paul meant in the verse that we just read when he said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. He has learned it. It's a process. All of us are here because we want to be in that process. And I know it's a high standard, but if the Apostle Paul can learn it, and we can learn it too. If we didn't believe that, none of us would open our Bibles. The standards of the Scripture, although very high, are achievable as we move through the process of life. So, yes? You're my kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. The whole idea of complacency uh, and competition is, is, is primarily an internal situation. It's an internal attitude. And the fact that, that we may retreat at times, the fact that we may take a vacation... Uh, at a certain you know time of the year, take a couple weeks off and, and go get refreshed and, and get rejuvenated to, in order to go back into the to the race of life. That's just in a microcosm what you just explained with a couple hours of, of kicking back. You don't want to think about anything, and uh, so no, I am definitely somehow I'm not I'm not living up to God's expectation. No, we need to know ourselves, and we need to know. Some of us need quiet time. Some of us need uh, you know, time alone. Uh, other people need less of that. And so, uh, I don't know if that answered your question, but that, that's kind of where I'm coming from on that. Yes, sir? Yes. Yes. Said he withdrew from the crowd. <coughs> yes. <coughs> Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, he's saying that that uh, is is the amount of faith that God expects us to exercise in proportion to our circumstances. If I understood you right, and, and I and and the fact that we because our circumstances might be relatively good, uh, that we drift over into this area of feeling less dependent, and therefore. Uh, uh, less of a need to live by faith. 
And what I would say to that is, is that that's why we have brothers around us, and that's why we have accountability, and we need to check one another, and that's why it's extremely important that we have a clear view of our depravity, and that we come before the Scripture. Hebrews 4 says that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it pierces even to the to the, uh, uh, the dividing of the soul and spirit reveals the thoughts and intents of the heart. And if we are willing to come before God, it's not too too long before we get relatively uncomfortable with our standing before Him. And that's why we, as we come before God, we see our need, and our dependence increases. Yes. Is contentment in your walk? I think that to the degree that we can look at another person and be uh, stimulated to love and good works, to be, to be motivated to godliness by their modeling or by their example, that it's positive. The comparison factor is, is something that we have to deal with within ourselves, that we, that we don't want to cross that line. But I think it's very valid that we... Uh, you know, Paul said, be imitators of me, even as I am of Christ. And so uh, we, we need to be careful in that because we don't want to put man on a pedestal. And we know what happens when we do that, and then they fall. But I think it is, is valid that, is, that, 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 that to the degree that, that individuals are brought into our life uh, for, for uh, modeling and, and example, that that would... Uh, be a stimulus in our walk with God. Is there contentment in your walk with the Lord? Is that complacency if you become content? No, I think it's it's I think it's biblical contentment if it is based upon our concept of God and not our circumstances. But we got to go back to that. If, if in any way our contentment is based on the fact that things are going well or we f even the circumstances of we feel that we're growing, we feel that we're, not to say we're not happy when, when things are going well, we appreciate it, we're thankful, but, but our contentment cannot be based on that because we know that that's only a temporary condition, unfortunately. It's going to change. And so if we tie our contentment to our circumstances, we know that circumstances of life are like this then that will be, that'll, that'll be the way our contentment will go. So it's got to be rooted in God. He doesn't change. Yes, sir. In, in relation to your question, I, you know, where, what's the difference between comparison and, and modeling when you look at guys around you who are, who are living a life that, 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 that you might be motivated to emulate, that you see good and value? That's been a difficult thing for me through my years being affiliated with CBMC and the guys who are obviously gifted in, in, uh, in discipleship of men. And, uh, you find yourself falling into the trap. Is this the model that, that I'm 
supposed to be doing, and, and, if, and that means the things that they're doing. Right? Exactly. And, and you look at that, and uh, I fall into comparison. If I use that measure of what they're doing uh, as the measure for me, and what that can quickly lead into for me, uh, and I guess for, for us, is, is being, is, is looking at another guy's life as, as the measure and, right. and actually abdicating your responsibility before God to find your unique calling. Because each of our calling is unique. Each of our giftedness is unique. And, and how we do that drives us to a relationship here I think to the degree we can look at an individual and 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 uh, and gain a biblical principle from from their life, that it's good. When we start to look at, at how they've applied that principle and compare ourselves with that, then because their application may be different than ours based on gifts, abilities, time, etc. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. Yes. I think that our concept of God is the overriding factor. That's why we need to continue to get to know God. We get to know him by the scripture. We get to know him by walking with him through the difficulties and the good times. Getting to know him and walking with him continues to broaden that concept. And, and it not only broadens it, it makes it more real. As we exercise that, it becomes more tangible to us. And, and we get, it's like the roots go down deeper. So when things shake, it's easier to hang on to that as our anchor. Now, as we look at we'll just wrap up with this, and then as we look at this, say, for, for most of us, the question is not, am I content all the time? Because none of us are content all the time, unfortunately. But the question is, what should I do when I realize that I'm not content? In which direction do I turn to correct the problem? And as we've seen, there are three choices. Number one, we can try to change our circumstances, which many try to do. That was illustration number one of, the, of Joe making 30000 Many people spend their entire lives trying to gain contentment by changing the circumstances. Secondly, we can try to control our exposure by reluctantly accepting our circumstances and retreating into complacency. We can try to control our exposure by reluctantly accepting our circumstances and retreating into complacency. Or number three, 
We can thank God for our circumstances, bring our concept of God back into focus, and rest in the assurance that he is in control, that he has my best interest at heart, that whatever the circumstances are, it's going to work them together for our ultimate good. And that, of course, is where we want to end up. I want to close our time by reading a passage from 1 Peter chapter 1. You can turn to it if you'd like, or you can just listen. <clears throat> Starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A right concept of God, based on biblical faith and hope, will lead to contentment and allow us to respond biblically to the adverse circumstances of life. Let's pray. Lord, we really want to be your men in this generation. We want to be ambassadors for Christ in our sphere of influence. And Lord, we understand that part of the territory is dealing biblically with adverse circumstances that may come our way. And I just pray for myself and for each man here that the way we respond to them would be honoring to you and would bring glory to you. For Jesus' sake, amen.